Good morning. Uh, we are wrapping up our uh, series on the practice of simplicity this morning, and I can think of no better place to end than the end of Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, where he just pours out this enormous debt of thanks and gratitude. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. Uh, and please pray with me before I read. Gracious God, we ask that through your spirit you would come to rest on us as we hear your word. Help us to be responsive in our hearing that we may be faithful in our living. We pray this through the name of the one who is the word made flesh, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Paul writes this. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no way to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. One of the subtexts of modern life is that we're always a bit anxious that somehow we're going to end up being trapped with ourselves. And so we have this kind of deep restlessness that wells up inside of us when we feel like our circumstances are keeping us from living the life that we are truly meant to live, whether that is by our, you know, our, our external circumstances, our, our jobs, our families, our spouse, whatever it is. And so maybe after five weeks, you are thinking, yes, I like the idea of simplicity. It seems like a lot, though. An inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle, like there's got to be a simpler way to simplicity, right? You know, maybe like a few light adjustments here and there. Maybe that's how we'll find contentment. And so I'm curious, what about you? What is it that the last few weeks over, uh, as we've been going through this, what experiments, if any, are on their way to becoming a kind of practice or sustainable rhythm in your life? And you'll need them because our culture feeds this unrest all of the time. With a few well-placed, you know, words in a search engine, you can find the expert or professional to help with every single one of the changes that you want to make in life. And the truth is, you, sometimes you don't even have to search for it. We can't escape the constant visual pollution of billboards, ads, commercials, even the things that find their way into our junk mail folder that promise to make us newer, better, more attractive. Here's just a few of the subject lines that got caught in my spam folder this week. Just two teaspoons of this Amazonian root will unblock your liver and melt the pounds away. Well, I, I don't know where, like, melting, where does it go? Like, I don't want that. That sounds gross. Or this one by, by a Christian organization. Jesus was an influencer Optimize your church's social media so you can be too. I forwarded that one to Mandy. She's all over it. <laughs> Try this weird investment trick to earn $10,000 in just four weeks. 
It's a Ponzi scheme, I guarantee you. Or my favorite one was this, take this pill to become the man of her dreams. <laughs> By which I took to mean I will do more dishes because <laughs> really. Now, most of us realize that all these promises, they belong in a junk folder, but at the same time, we can't escape these nagging voices that are telling us that contentment is just one life hack away. And if you're going to find something like happiness, so the thinking goes, it's going to come through some sort of escape from your circumstances that's going to help you live your best life now. And this storyline gets woven into every aspect of our culture. Now, I was thinking about this a little while ago when our family was deciding on which board game to play. And I, I don't know if it's like yours, but we always flirt, at least, with the idea of playing Monopoly. <laughs> and then we realize, like, we have actually never finished a game. Because you know how it is. Like, you, you, you roll the dice, you land where you land, you get a card that has a property on it, and then you spend the rest of the game trying to maximize those cards. And you can tell pretty early on where this all is going to go. Uh, so they try to, like, you know, set that aside by introducing a little bit of mystery into it. So you land on chance, and you lost your job. Oh or you won a beauty contest, and you finally get that validation that you always knew was yours. And so you ride this emotional you know, roller coaster up and down, up and down, until you land on boardwalk, and eventually that will either make you or break you. And half the time when I'm playing with the, my kids, like we don't even make it past the first couple rounds because someone ends up dumping the cards back in the box. They can tell based on the draw of the cards that this imagined life is not going to lead anywhere like contentment. You can put up a hotel on Baltic Avenue. You cannot make it Park Place. That's just how it goes. And so in real life, we do the same thing. We try to make sure that we draw the right cards from the beginning. We focus on the career card or the, the, the home card or the family card. We try to arrange our deck just so. And then we fixate on maximizing our kids' cards, right? We get them in the right classes. We put them on the right travel team so that they might be able to parlay that into a college scholarship and then get into the right network. And that's just how the game is played. But it's exhausting. And so we do all kinds of things to, you know, cope with that. We try therapy or goat yoga or juice cleanses. We read half a dozen self-help books to answer the questions that keep us up at night. Maybe we even move to a new town. We pile on a degree. We, move, we get a new job thinking, how can I just like put a hotel up on this card? Or how can I trade this set for that one over there? And, and maybe those things help for a bit. But after a while, you start to wonder, am I just rolling the dice here? And you wonder if you would just be better off dumping it all back in the box. And maybe that's why you're here at church thinking, well, if I add just a little bit of Jesus to my deck, maybe that will spell out a life of contentment. Well, when the apostle Paul wrote his letter to the church in Philippi, he was writing to a church that was facing great persecution and a ton of financial hardship. And as he's thinking about them, it's almost like he is engaging on a little bit of reflection on his own life's story. See, he's faced more than a few difficulties in his life. Uh, he's had some circumstances that have been really tough. He started out in his life struggling against the church, but then God knocks him down and calls him to struggle for the church. And you read through the book of Acts. I mean, he crisscrosses the empire. He's been in uh, three shipwrecks. He's planting churches everywhere. And all the while, he's got the authorities from Jerusalem and then from Rome, who either always seem to end up throwing rocks at him or putting him in jail. And that's 
where he is when he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi. He's in jail awaiting death. He does not have a thing. He doesn't have any money. He doesn't have any community. No prospects for a brighter future at a new company. And so I imagine there are more than just a few times that he wants to hang it all up, dump the cards back in the box. And yet he says, of all of this, I have learned the secret of being content, whatever the circumstances. It's like he's hitting the pause button in the middle of all of this, of his thanks, to to peer inside his own life, those events, those circumstances, those times of joy and pain, those times of plenty and need, those times of freedom and bondage. And he's inviting them to see that in the midst of everything that was going on around him, God was busy doing something inside of him and through him. That the center of his life is not really whether he is in prison or not, whether he has a lot or a little. Those are just the cards that he has been dealt in life. They don't say a thing about who he is. No, he's learned how to arrange his life around the presence and the purposes of God in the world. And that in turn has made his life very simple. But the truth is it takes some time to clear out all of the clutter that's rattling around inside of our hearts. Which is why Paul says, I have learned the secret. He doesn't say, I have the secret. He says, I've learned it. It's something that you have to grow into. And the thing is, most of us want to jump straight to knowing the secret. We don't really want to go through what it takes to learn it. We want all of the joy of the external lifestyle without the discipline of the inward life. But in the world of the quick fix, it turns out some things cannot be handed down. They can only be gained by experience. Best thing analogy I can think of is raising a child. You can read the books, you can listen to the podcasts, and there are a lot of good experts out there. And more than anything, what you want from those experts is to just hear, you're gonna be okay. But then when they hand you your child for the first time at the hospital and they tell you it's your job now to make sure this thing lives. And then you, you, you play with that child and you, you, that child that you nursed, that you, that you gave every advantage to. And then later on when they come home drunk or they come home cursing at you because you just don't understand, you realize pretty quickly, yep, I don't understand. Because there can be no other way of knowing other than what you discover along the way. You have to do it to learn how to do it. There's no manual for raising a child. Parenting is a form of initiation. It's kind of like being hazed. (laughs) Maybe a little bit less sleep. And Paul is saying that the journey has of life has been like that for him. God has created this personalized curriculum for him out of the pendulum swings of his life. And it's all designed to make him look more like Jesus. And what he has found is this kind of strength that comes not from avoiding the difficulty, but from leaning into it. It's interesting that the the word that our Bibles translate as contentment actually in Greek is the word self-sufficient or to be adequate in oneself, as in, in the midst of all of these circumstances, I have learned how to find enough within. 
But the thing is that that word doesn't quite do the trick. The, the word autarkes uh, does not appear anywhere else in the New Testament, but it is all throughout Greek literature. It's a favorite concept of the Stoic philosophers who were really popular in the time that Paul was writing. And the Philippians would have understood this to describe somebody who, through a life of self-discipline, has gained a kind of internal detachment from external circumstances. They've built up this kind of reservoir of soul so that they can handle whatever it is that life throws at them. And and we know all about that, right? We are baptized by our culture into this narrative that struggles are just meant to be overcome, that the winners are the ones who have learned how to to battle and and to keep a stiff upper lip, to to white knuckle it, to, to put your head down and just power through when things go south. And so we try to live out of this self-sufficiency. We try to pile up a life through, through hard work, through gaining all the achievements, or we construct our identity around the choices that we make or the things that we uh, accumulate, the resources that we acquire, all in a mad scramble to stave off tragedy. But then we get the cancer diagnosis. Or that notice that the promotion that we were in line for isn't going to happen because, oh, guess what? The company got acquired and you may not actually have a job at all. Or we get that call that a loved one is in the hospital and all of our carefully constructed life simply can't hold together. So now that Paul has their attention with this image of stoic detachment, he takes that image and he flips it on its head. He says, I can abound with blessing or I can be humbled, not because I have drawn into my own deep inner well and found some inner strength there. No, I am strong because of the one who gives me his strength. I know how to cope with whatever happens because I am in union with the one who humbled himself, who left the abundance of heaven to enter into our circumstances to show that those circumstances are not the final word. This verse, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, is not a call to put yourself at the center of the story so you can go out and conquer the world. No, it is to discover that at the center of your story is Jesus, and he will give you strength when the world has conquered you. It's the promise that God is going to be with you to do the things, to give you strength to do the things that he has called you to do. And this is good news because it means we can abandon all of our attempts at self-sufficiency and receive from the one who is all-sufficient. The secret, Paul says, to holding plenty and holding nothing is to realize that Jesus is the one holding you. That the Spirit is binding you to Jesus' life. That as John Calvin claimed, the heart of the gospel is this miraculous exchange that we give to Jesus our sin and weakness. And in exchange, he gives us his righteousness and his strength. And until we give up trying to find a life out of our own resources and find contentment in our circumstances, we will never be able to receive the life and the strength that Jesus has on offer. Because the truth is, some struggles are not meant to be overcome. They are meant to change you along the way. For Paul, God's spirit was always moving him and pulling him in two directions at once. It was both pulling him out of the world and thrusting him back into it. I, I love how Thomas Kelly puts it. He plucks the world out of our hearts, loosening the chains of attachment. 
and he hurls the world into our hearts where we and he carry it together in infinitely tender love. We know that Paul didn't make it out of prison. And yet he was always going about free because he found in the spirit a means to conquer the most important struggle and that was the one that was going on in his own heart. Turns out the secret of contentment isn't found by fixating on whether or not you are playing the right cards, but it is to find your strength and your center in something other than what you've built for yourself. It is to find your strength and your identity in Jesus and in the kingdom he is bringing into the world. This is what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. It's to realize that he has taken all of your cards and he's given you his. When I was new in ministry, I, I had the privilege of offering pastoral care to a woman named Beth McCrory who was dying from a progressive neurological disease. Uh, she was older, um, she never married, and she was the last remaining of her siblings. And it was the first time I'd spent any significant amount of time with somebody who was dying and who really had no hope of recovery. So I would go and visit her weekly in the months leading up to her death and, and one day, you know, thinking that I was being psychologically sophisticated, I, I told her, you know, it's okay to be angry at God. Uh, this is the thing they tell you in seminary to assume that people are feeling. And she looked at me puzzled, and in her sweet northern Irish accent, she said, oh, I'm not angry with God. Why would I? He's given me a great life. He has been with me every step of the way. He's all I've got. She's like, and now... Now that I'm old and now that I'm dying, I see that he's all that there ever was. Like Paul, she found the secret that Christ had gone before her, that her life belonged to him and that he gave her his life in return and she wanted everyone to know about it. And her faith wasn't this kind of rose-colored optimism that, that painted the world in a, you know, the best is yet to come kind of, kind of way. No, it was the dust and the grit of contentment that was staring at death with a great deal of gratitude and hope. So maybe the secret to contentment is remarkably simple. And the good news is you don't have to wait till you're facing death to find it. It comes along when in the midst of all of the circumstances, all the disappointments and setbacks you've had from trying to build a life, you discover the sufficiency and the strength that holds us is the faithfulness of Jesus. And it was all along. And this happens to be exactly what the world needs from us, from a community called All Souls. After all, if we are united with Jesus, then his goals his mission, his vision becomes ours. And that means we can set our goals aside and have our vision refocused. I mean, after all, Paul does not learn this secret to being content just so he can feel good about himself. He learns it because the world around him needs to know the secret. His circumstances had him in prison, but he had a calling. He was part of this greater drama of proclaiming the justice and the mercy of the kingdom that had come in Jesus has actually come near to earth. It is close. It is available. And so he closes his letter with this. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and the sisters who are with me send their greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. 
You see, prison was a crisis, and he could have seen it like that. But for Paul, it was just an opportunity of his calling. See, because his life was simplified around the presence and the purposes of God in the world, even the deepest places of the empire, like Caesar's own house, are an opportunity to proclaim the kingdom that has come into the world in Jesus. And the secret of this simple life is that you have a calling too. It is to experience the nearness and the fullness of the kingdom and to take it with you wherever you go. And you're going to need a strength that does not come from you to deal with the deep pain and injustice of the world. It's what your colleagues at work are going to need. It's what the woman down the street is going to need whose marriage is falling apart. It's what your friends at school are going to need who, who have it, find it hard to believe that there is a self apart from the one that is wrapped up in identity and an accomplishment. It's what that neighbor who is paralyzed by fear that his carefully constructed house of cars might one day collapse, it's what he's going to need. It's, it's what the person next to you needs who feels like the challenges that they are in are way too big for them to carry alone. Because the thing is, if they haven't found out already, they soon will, that all of our attempts to play the right cards or find the right techniques to move through life on a strength of our own is never going to lead to a place of contentment. They'll need a center that can hold and a strength that comes with everything the kingdom has to offer. And they're going to need people who show them how it's done. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.